Would you take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 7 through 15. Hebrews, chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. The scripture reads, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If we have, if we have come to share, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Let me just give you the structure. If you're taking some notes tonight, this might be easier for you to understand what I believe, or I believe the Apostle Paul is writing here. Um, there is a bracket in this text, and it is quoting from Psalm 95. If you, I give you a chance, if you have the chance, go by and read Psalm 95. It's the context for... Uh, this passage, and actually a lot of what's taking place in chapters 3 and 4, and that is uh, a commentary on the Exodus generation. Now, you, you, read, you heard when I read it, it's the years that they were 40 years in the wilderness. That's Moses' generation, all those who were delivered by God after 430 years of Egyptian bondage. And uh, they were delivered, and they were on their way to the promised land. And so he tells them uh, in the rebellion, you know, it, Scripture says in the book of Numbers that they rebelled ten different times in the wilderness. So it wasn't just a one-off thing. It was a continual thing. In fact, there were two times that they tried to stone Moses over it. Um, and you know some of the judgments and plagues that God brought with the serpents and with the golden calf and the earth opening up and swallowing Korah and some of the, it was it was a lot of uh, difficulties, a lot of dangers in the wilderness in that sense. So you have the Exodus generation, but notice, listen, listen to this. You got a thousand years later, Psalm ninety-five is written about that Exodus generation, but the application is in King David's day. So they're looking back at the story of the Exodus. And he says, you know how they did, they rebelled and they, it, they all died in the wilderness. And then he says, a thousand years later, let me apply it to us, he says. So there's a, I call it parallel peoples. They were in very si similar circumstances. They were going through the wilderness in their lifetime. And their lifetime, the admonition of don't be a hardened heart person, don't rebel, don't have an unbelieving heart, don't depart or, or fall away from the living God. A thousand years later, today, that word today was their today. But watch. You go from the Exodus generation 
David's generation a thousand years later. And then Paul takes that very same text and puts it in Hebrews 3, which is 1,500 years later than David. So you got the Exodus generation, right? You got David's generation, and now you got Paul's generation. And in every one of those generations spanning 2,500 years, right? They're supposed to watch out for these things in their own wilderness. So you got all these parallels, but the application of that original group and the text that went with it is applicable to every generation. And so, of course, now let's add on the final one, right? We've gone... 2,500 years, let's add almost 2,000 more years. So 4,500 years later, it's today for us, right? The Bible is for us. There are certainly implications and applications from Psalm 95 and obviously in where it's quoted, including Hebrews 3 in the text. And I say all that to say this, listen, this word is just as relevant and just as important and the warnings should be just as much heeded with fear and trembling as it was 4,500 years ago. Every generation, can I say it this way? Every generation, in that sense, is a wilderness generation. I put in my notes, life is a wilderness. Living in this world is a wilderness. And what you and I need is what the first generation, and the second time it's mentioned, and the third, we all need the same thing, and that is to listen to God's word, obey it, and to guard our hearts. All of us need that. If you look at verse 7, it says, Take today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. Now, in verse 8, can you see it? Rebellion and testing. Those two words are the same two words that describe the two places that were they were mainly rebellion at the beginning. Remember Massah and Meribah. Those were the two places where they couldn't find anything to drink and God gave them water, but they were complaining. They were grumbling. That's what the background of Philippians 2, right, with that work out your salvation stuff, because it says, do all things without murmuring and complaining. And that's the background um, because they weren't working out their salvation because they had unbelief in their hearts. So let me ask some questions up front. And I want to tell you something um, right off the bat. Ready? We all need this. Every generation needs this. And can I tell you this? Christians need it. Verse 12 says, Take care, brothers. So these aren't for people who um, are seemingly lost. These are people who are professing Christ as their Savior. They are people like you on the Wednesday night and sit in a pew like this. Take care, brothers. It's the word take care is the words. It's a warning word. Make sure that you see this truth. Make sure that you apply this reality to your life because there's a danger in the desert. Here it is. Lest there be in any of you. He's concerned about them. In fact, you could almost call this the thrust of the entire book of Hebrews. He's worried about people who have made a profession of faith have gone beyond the Old Testament and have gone into a new covenant faith with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but the condition that he's worried about is they might revert back. That the sufferings and the trials and the difficulties of following Jesus, standing for Jesus in the day in which they live were too much for them and they revert back to some form of Judaism. 
He says, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading to you falling away from the living God. So warning against what? Unbelieving hearts. Warning against falling away. It is the Greek word, and I know you'll figure it out, apostasia, right? What does that mean? Apostasy. Okay, this is not backsliding. Um, this is not just having a, you know, some time off from your Christian life that you're not doing what you ought to do. Apostasy is turning your back. Um, it's the same words we would phrase it in this Israelite text of desiring to go back to Egypt. Uh, that would be the similar phrase. Now, before we go any further, I want to show you what it looks like. And so I'm going to call this the John 6 case study. Would you turn to John 6, please? What does it look like when someone apostatizes? I've seen it, unfortunately. I've seen it in the chairman of the deacons that I, at the church I grew up in. A man who was considered to be very spiritual, um, divorced his wife, had an affair, and years later said that he didn't even believe any longer in the existence of God, much less faith in this God, right? So I, I've seen it happen. Um, I don't know if you have, um, but let me tell you what the Bible says about it. If you can look in John 6, 60, so pay, there's a lot of detail here, and I'm going to give it to you in a short time. When many of his disciples, key word in this chapter from beginning to end, many times. This is a lesson for disciples, people who are seeking to follow Jesus. Remember when the Bible says disciples, it is certainly not limited to the 12. Although he does designate in this passage numerous times the 12. They are the closest disciples. But you realize when Jesus walked around, much of the time, there were hundreds of people. We get the idea it's Jesus and the 12. If you watch The Chosen, you'll, find, you'll see that it's Jesus, the 12 disciples, and that's about it. That would probably be the minority case. Most of the time, it was huge crowds, especially when he was in anywhere near a city. He had tons of disciples. The closest ones that he spent most of the time investing in were the 12. But you realize that when Judas died and they had to replace him, there were numerous candidates, and two included in Scripture to Acts 1, so they had to be there and had a lot of requirements to be it. So there were way more than just 12 people following Jesus as disciples at that time. So when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. It's a word that means, it's the word we get, scolerosis. Hardening, what, of the arteries, I think, or, right? It means, to, so it means this is what happened to them. A hard saying, a difficult saying. What was it? They had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And unfortunately, they took it literally or they didn't grasp it altogether. And they didn't get it. It was a hard saying. And it says, who can hear it? Literally, who can hear it? Who can listen to this? Hold your finger. Luke 8. If you'll turn there, we'll come right back. I want to show you what hearing means. In verse 9, hearing in the Bible in the Old Testament, remember the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hearing doesn't mean just listening. 
it means hearing with the intention to do. All right? So with that in mind, listen to the text, Luke 8, 9. And when his disciples asked him about this parable, what it meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables. So they seeing, they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. Now the parable of this is this. The seed is the word of God. Now there's going to be four paths, and what they all have in common, and you should underline it, is they all hear the word. Every single one of them hear the word. Just like the passage in John 6, where they heard what Jesus said, but they said it was very difficult. Who can hear it? Not that who can't listen to it. Who can hear it and actually do that is the idea. Look what happens. How important is it to hear and to do? The text will show you. Let me turn that off. He says, The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes. Interesting. Listen to this. Scary somewhat, right? And takes away the word from their hearts. How does he do that? And I take that to be the gospel words, so that they may not believe and be saved. So he gets, they get the gospel and he takes it out of their hearts so they're not able to believe. How does that happen? I would tell you, the rest of the verses tell you, I think what he does is he puts things in your way or in your heart that dislodge, distract, or push out the gospel. I don't think he actually comes in and actually you know, takes the word. But I think well, here he does. He puts the cares, the testings, the trials, things that come into your heart they overwhelm you and become your greatest concern and they push out spiritual things, mainly the gospel, so that you're not able to be saved. I'll, I'll show you in the next verses. And the ones on the rock are those who hear the word again, receive it with joy. In other words, they're not, they're not opposed to it. They receive it with joy. They're happy about it. But these have no root. Now notice this, ready? They believe for a while. In other words, they have faith that looks real, and you'd think it was real for a while. And it says, and in time of testing, here's our word, they fall away, they apostatize, right? So they received it, they were joyful, they made a profession, they maybe shed tears, they were happy, and you introduced them to somebody, and they were loved, and for a while, they had faith. And it says, and as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, there it is again, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures, and it literally means to take by the throat. And the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word Different, ready? This is our word in Hebrews. Hold on to it. Hold it fast. They hold on to it. They, they don't believe for a little while. They keep believing. And the idea is, unlike the other soils, cares of the riches of the world, the treasures, the temptations, the, all the things that come along, trials, difficult. They have the same thing, but they don't let go. Right? And an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. So what does it mean to hear? It means to hear and do and continue to hear and do because of faith. Now with that in mind, go back to our text in John 6. 
It's a hard saying. Who can hear it? Who can do this? Who could live this? Who could obey this? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling. Now, get the context. In the wilderness, Jesus is talking about being manna. He's the living water for them. And what is the response? Same one. You can mark it in your Bible. Verse 41, they were complaining. It's used twice. The first time in verse 41, it's the people at large. Second time, it's the disciples, the group of followers that he has. They start complaining because they can't see how they can follow these hard words. He says... They were grumbling about this and said to them, do you take offense at this? Greek word is scandal. Are you scandalized by this? Is this saying and what I ask you to do too much for you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, don't turn away from my hard words because if you turn away from my hard words, you're turning away from life. My words are life. So don't turn away no matter how hard they might seem. But there are some of you who do not believe. Why would someone turn away because it gets hard? Why would it be that they hear this and they don't say, I don't know if I can live that out. I don't know if I want to do that. Why would someone turn away from that? You know why people turn away? You know why apostasy happens? Because they only have believed for a little while. They don't really believe. And so it goes on to say this, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. That is who? Judas. Judas would be paradigmatic example, classic example of someone who apostatized. You know, on the night of Jesus' Passover meal, the last one with his disciples, he tells them that one of them are going to betray him. And they go around the room, and what are they all saying? Is it I? You know what they didn't say? <laughs> Stinking Judas knew that the whole time. Nobody says that. Nobody says, ah, not me, Lord. <laughs> not me. Only Peter has the guts to say that. Which he was about as closest one to actually apostatizing as Judas, right? But all of them are going, oh, Lord, is it me? Is it me? They're all worried. It's them. Nobody's saying it's that stinking Judas. No one's saying that. Why? Because he didn't look like it. You know why? Because he followed Jesus. He had all the Christian vocabulary. He looked like it. He even did things. When they went out and did miraculous things, do you know he did it too? Because imagine how that would stand out. You're the only one who can't preach and you're the only one who can't do miraculous things. You don't think that's possible. Read Matthew 7. Lord, Lord. Right? That many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name done wonderful, miraculous things in your name, cast out demons. They can do those things, not by Jesus' power, but they can do those things. But he says to them, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. So in our text, if you'll turn back there, that's what it looks like. You hear the word of God, and for a while you may appear to follow, but the before you turn back, I'm sorry. 
Let me go a little further. Verse 66, John 6, 66. After this, many of the disciples, here it is, ready? They turn back. This is apostasy. And no longer walked with him. That little phrase, walked with him, that's a disciple term. That's what rabbis in Talmud, Talmudim, the plural, that's what they do. You walk with Jesus. You go where he goes. You live where he lives. That's why he had a big following, a big crowd. And they decided after hearing that requirement that they no longer could be his disciples. So they turned away from him and they went back. They're not following Jesus. They, don't, they actually don't believe in him in the end. Now watch. Then he says to the 12, and it's named the 12. See, these are different than the other ones. And, and the point of John in the passage is there are disciples who believe and there are disciples who don't believe. There are people who believe for a while and then a hard saying, a hard experience, a hard requirement, a hard trial, a hard temptation comes up. And those things demonstrate what was really going on on the inside. Are you saying, Pastor Walker, that you can be a Christian and lose being a Christian? Absolutely not. You can never lose what you never had. Judas never was a believer, but he professed it. He even acted like it a little bit. But you can never lose what you never had, but you can lose it if you didn't have it. Right? No, that's wrong, right? You can't lose what you didn't have. Once saved, always saved. Is that true? Absolutely. Let me add a word to it. Once truly saved, always truly saved. And you have to know whether it's true in your life or not. So it says, will you also go away? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words. See what he, see the group that was the disciples that didn't believe. Here's what they did. They heard what Jesus said hard and they turned back. These 12 hear what Jesus say and they keep going. It doesn't mean it wasn't hard. It doesn't mean it wasn't difficult. It doesn't mean that they understood it all. But they said, where are we going to go? Where else would we go? And it's what we've heard tonight. It's the response to God's word, not just mental acceptance of it, but whether you intend to live it. Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil, he says. Go back to Hebrews 3, if you would. Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 12, take care, brothers. It's a danger in the desert for all of us, any generation. Let there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away, apostatize, stop believing in the living God. What's the next verse say? But, in contrast, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, purpose clause, that none of you, none of you, see that? Not any of you, none of you. He didn't see exemptions. He didn't say, oh, only a number, you know, not very many people would have a problem. This could be a problem for everyone, he says. I'm warning everyone that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now listen, exhort one another. Hear me, and, and I'm going to give you a challenge. Ready? 
I'm going to get a big amen from Pastor Dave. That was your cue, by the way. Okay. Right? Can I tell you this? Perseverance in your faith is a community project. Do you hear what he says? Exhort one another every day. Do you know how hard it is to fight the dangers in the desert? Do you know how hard it is for our teenagers and our young adults, not to mention all of us, with all that's taking place in our world and all that's happening, and you don't have to have much of an explanation to know all of that. It's dangerous in the desert. It's incredibly dangerous. At an all-time high, there are people graduating from high school, going to college, and not going back to church anymore. Too too many. Why all the apostasy, if that's really the case? Why is all of that leaving going on? And look at the text. Exhort one another every day, because we need each other. We, yes, we need God. We need the Word of God. Obviously, our focus is Jesus. That's the vertical, but you know, here's what, here's what Paul says. We need the horizontal, so I'm going to give my plug. Ready? You ought to be you ought to be in a small group. You ought to be. And I, I look around, a lot of you are. Praise God for that. We ought to be. And, and I know that we are working on having more leaders, more groups to offers, and we're doing, uh, working hard at that too. But let me tell you this. Don't downplay what you do when you get together on Sunday mornings with other people. It could be life, eternal life threatening. It is that important what we're doing. Encouraging people to keep going in their faith and not turn back and don't go back to Egypt as it were. None of, see, it's because it's difficult in the desert. It is. And some of the things that Jesus has asked us, they're not easy. They're not easy. And you know how we're going to get through? You know how our faith is going to keep going? We're going to do it together. That's why I tell people, you ought to be at all the services, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Why? Because it makes you spiritual. I don't know. It might help. I hope it does. But it's not because in and of itself sitting in this pew makes your faith stronger. It's sitting in this pew with everybody else and talking with them and having someone pray for you and someone encourage you and someone rebuke you and correct you and challenge you and push you and keep you accountable. Listen, you, are, you and I are foolish if we think that we can do that by ourselves. Lone Ranger Christianity is not in the New Testament. It's not. We're a team. We do way better as a team. Now, my second plug, smaller, ready? Pastor Dave. Right? Small groups, and, you, and I would encourage you just as strong. You need to be in a D group. I, I was talking with someone this week at breakfast, and they said, you know what? And it's been a year and a half, and they said, you know what, Pastor Walker? I miss our D group. And this person went from our D group and started his own D group. He said, I miss ours. And we were, it was probably the best D group I've ever done in my life. We were so close. It was a great group. We've had, I've had a couple really good ones. Like, Tim, shake your head. We've had some really good ones. And I can tell you this. We are all, including me, all better because of it. Can I tell you even further? I'm going to push a little bit more. Not only should you be in one, but you ought to aspire to lead one. Because you know how Faith Baptist Church grows? It's not because just because of preachers. It's not just because we have cool facilities or whatever it might be or these programs or that programs. You know why we grow? 
We grow wider because people are getting saved and baptized and out of the church, but we also grow because we need to grow deeper. Deeper because we need to be disciples, hear me, and disciple makers. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every living creature, making disciples. Not just being one, that is really, really good. But making them is the end all be all. Can I challenge you? no matter where you sit, no matter how, what your age is. If you're not in a small group, Pastor Dave will love to have a meeting with you and show you which ones are available and how you could be in one this Sunday. How'd you like that pressure? That was awesome, wasn't it? D group, you could be in a D group and you can get to know people. And more than that, you can get to know God and really follow him. Can I tell you, those are crucial things, absolutely crucial Last point, and not my last point, really, but it's going to be. My last point. The deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ. Big important word in Hebrews, translated partner. In other words, we've come to share in Christ. Notice the conditional phrase. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You persevere. You hold on to it. You keep going in it. It's what I call a trajectory. It's not that you don't have any of this. All of us have our ups and downs in our spiritual life. Certainly no one's perfect, and we all long to be more like Jesus, even though we're not nearly what we want to be. But here's what's true. People who have a real faith, who are believing and following and true disciples of Jesus, here's what's true. Even though there's movement, it's this movement. It's a trajectory. Why? Firm until the end. We keep holding on to it. Paul said this, Philippians 3, I hold on to Jesus just as Jesus has hold on to me. Right? You know how perseverance works? He's holding on to you. He who begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Christ. Philippians 1, 6, right? But we hold on to him. Not because we're working at it. His holding enables our holding. So we hold on to him. We hold on to him and we grasp him, and we keep our eyes on him. He is the author and finisher of our faith. So let me close tonight by having you read the verse in the text, verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? See, they heard too. Just like the soils heard, they all heard, like you've heard tonight. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses get this, and with whom he was provoked for 40 years. In other words, they had the Exodus experience. They were freed from their bondage. They were given freedom. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Write this principle down and never forget it. A good beginning does not guarantee a good ending. You know how many people is estimated that left Egypt when they were freed from the hand of Pharaoh? Upwards to 1.5 to 2 million people. That's a lot of people. Let me ask you, and no, no, you don't have to be a great theologian to know this. Out of all of those who were over the age of 20, how many of them made it into the promised land? Two. Two. Now, that's 2 million and just two. You think we need to hear this? 
I think we need to hear it. What does the Bible says? Their bodies fell in the wilderness, promising beginnings, but they didn't make it. They didn't make it into the promised land. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were, watch, disobedient. I thought you said it was unbelief that was the problem. It is. But that verse says it's, it's disobedient. Can I tell you this? They are at best, they are at least parallel, if not overlapping. Because you know what unbelief leads to? Disobedience. And you know what expressions of disobedience are the most common in the wilderness wanderings? Complaining, griping. Start there tonight. Ask yourself, Romans 1.21, all these lists of things, that they were, and the last one says, and neither were they thankful. Ask yourself, do you gripe and complain? Are you grumbling all the time against God, against others, against what's going on in your life? Do you follow him? See, here's what unbelief does. Unbelief, disobedience, griping, complaining, and down the road, people leave. They leave. Let it not be one of us, but let us have faith, the faith of Joshua and Caleb, that we might follow and endure. We're not in the promised land, folks but we are going to go there someday. Amen? Amen? So let's do it together. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to love you, to hold on to you. First Timothy 6 says that we might take hold on eternal life. Help us tonight, Lord. We don't work for our salvation. It's all of grace. But if we know you, we will hold on to you. If we know you, we will bear fruit only by your Spirit's power that lives within us, that we might manifest the reality of the true faith. I pray, God, that you'll help us not to be like those who fall away in unbelief with an evil heart, a hard heart, like Pharaoh. Your people saw Pharaoh's hard heart and all the wonders that you did. And then when they got in the, in the wilderness, the Bible says they had hard hearts. How could it happen? Because we forget your word. Oh, Father, have mercy on us and help us to love each other enough to get into each other's lives, whether it's through small groups or D groups or otherwise, friendships, anybody's home that we might be in. Father, help us every day to think of others and how we might encourage them and strengthen their faith that they might endure until the end until we see you face to face. Help us through the wilderness, Lord. Take us by the hand, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.